0: Good to worship our great God. I appreciate our choir and Noah and the whole music ministry helping us to worship this morning. What child is this? This, this, Christ the King. Nail, spear shall pierce him through the cross he bore for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Open your Bibles with me this morning to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. As we've thought about Christmas gifts, I know that brings many things to our minds. Gifts we've given over the years, we've received. Maybe a gift we anticipate or hope to receive. But I hope that one of the things that you're thinking of this year is the love of God. And this morning, that's one of my goals, that you will think more and more about the love of God. Stand with me as we read Luke 2, begin reading in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out on the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. We've tried to define some terms this year at Christmas so that we can better understand what it is that Jesus has brought with him. And obviously our theme today, I think you've picked that up, is that we're trying to better understand the love of God. There's a sense in which we can take the love of God for granted. And it can be co- it can be somewhat of a romanticized, God will... Uh, Be okay with anything anyone does or thinks, and that's just kind of this unconditional love that God has for everybody. He accepts everybody no matter who they are, what they're doing, and that's really not what the love of God is all about. 1 John 3.16 says, Begins to tell us more about what God's love is. By this we know love. It's, it's like this is going to be a definition for us. That he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You begin to see love here. What God has done for us. And when someone truly understands the love of God. It's life changing to the point where then someone begins to share that love with the people around them. Another way that John said this in his first letter, uh, in 1 John 4, verse 16, and this is love. Not that we loved God. As a matter of fact, we were unable to love him on our own. As a matter of fact, there was nothing about us that would have ever drawn the love of God to us. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. God is love. We love because he first loved us. Jesus came to receive the wrath of God on our behalf. When we talk about the love of God, we also think through all the characteristics and attribute of God of God. God is holy. Because God is holy, he therefore must punish sin. Because God is love, he took action for his wrath to be appeased. A propitiation was made. An offering was made to appease the wrath of God, and Jesus became That offering, the lamb, he is the lamb of God. We understand what God has done for us, how he's acting on our behalf. That's his love. Jonathan Edwards said this about grasping this kind of love. He said, there is such love and such grace in the heart of God that if you understood the length and breadth and height and depth of it, you would never be discouraged this Christmas, many of you are going through difficult times. This past year, our whole nation, our whole world has gone through difficult times. And some have been life and death. Some have, some have even lost loved ones over the course of this last year. And there, there have been sicknesses and difficulties. And it's hard to imagine, how do we have joy? How do we have peace? How do we have faith in these moments And it comes back to that underlying factor that God treats us as his sons and his daughters. We're in his family and he loves us. So, well, Rodney, how can I know that God loves me? Well, this is it. The defining act is that he sent his son. God so loved the world. This is the evidence This is the marker. This is what we go by, not how we feel, not what we go through here on earth. This earth is a brief amount of time that we have. But once this life is over, we have eternity. And the love of God allows us to be able to live through some of the more difficult times of life because we know there's something greater coming. Eternity with him. Because he's holy, he had to punish sin. Because he's loving, he took that punishment himself through Jesus Christ. Let's think a little bit more about our text this morning in Luke chapter 2. The angel shared this good news with the shepherds. What a birth announcement. Some of you have had children lately, and many of you have had children over the course of your lives And there are different ways that people make that known. God himself, when the son was born of the Virgin Mary, when Jesus left heaven and came to earth, the father intended on this kind of announcement. An angel came. Now, Mary and Joseph, they had just been through a pretty difficult time themselves. For her, being a virgin, conceiving a child was miraculous but yet on the surface, there was a lot of difficulty in how people may have thought about Mary, how they had thought about Joseph, because here's a child out of wedlock. They were, they, were, they were not yet man and wife, they were only betrothed, they were engaged to each other. So they had gone through a difficult nine months, but yet an exciting nine months, because from conception, this baby was in her womb. And this baby was growing over all of this time. She was with child, and and her stomach began to expand. It, It was a wonderful thing. God had created Mary. He had prepared her for this child, for carrying this child, this pregnancy. And I'm sure there were those times that she felt baby Jesus moving inside of her womb before he was born. There were times that Joseph probably felt... Uh, her stomach to feel the kicking and all of the wonderful things that a pregnancy could bring but yet as she neared delivery a four-day trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem they had struggled it wasn't easy there were a lot of mixed emotions that had come with this and then when they moved to this place where they were keeping animals because there was not any room for them in Bethlehem. They were pretty much hanging out where the animals hung out. The pains of childbirth hit. And none of us men actually understand what that is for our wives to go through such a a, a painful time. And none of us understand that from our, our mother's perspective, what they went through that we might be born But here all of this is transpiring and the Father in heaven is making this grand announcement that the Son has been born. What a wonderful, wonderful picture of God himself and the birth of of his Son. Now pick up with that again in verse 8 because I want you to see first this morning, God comes after you with his love and in the same region, Just a a mile or two out of Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Think about those shepherds out in the field. We get the picture of Mary and Joseph. Now they're they're holding this baby, Jesus. They've wrapped him in swaddling clothes. They've laid him in... The manger, this probably concrete feeding trough, these angels, they're just out doing their work. They're just taking care of business. In the moment, they're not really sure of anything of significance that's happening. I would encourage you, God works in those moments when we're just doing what we know we're supposed to be doing. I like the fact they were out working. God created us to work, and God created these shepherds to to do work, and they were out, and God made himself known in the moments that they were just doing what they were put here on earth to do in those moments. They were out working in the field, taking care of the sheep, and that's when an angel of the Lord appeared. God sent That angel. The angel didn't just think, you know what, I'm just going to go surprise a few shepherds. I'm going to scare them a little bit out of their shoes. God sent the the angel to give them this message. You never just come to God on your own. I just want to make that clear this morning. Ephesians 2 talks about we're dead in our sins. Dead people don't seek God. Dead people don't know what it is to know God. God initiates. Nobody comes to God unless God is drawing them. Sometimes we pray for people who don't know Christ yet. God, would you would you begin to draw them to yourself? Would you begin to help them to ask eternal questions like why Why am I here on Earth? Like, uh, what's my purpose, and where will I spend eternity? Because that's God drawing them to them, to himself. If this morning you're here and you've been asking some questions, it's not just because you're a smart person. Now, you may be a very smart person, but we just, of ourselves, don't seek after God. The Bible tells us clearly that none of us seek after God. None are good in the, in the technical sense of good enough to know God. God awakens a desire in us. God awakens curiosity in us and then we begin to be open to God making himself known. God comes after us and God sent this angel, this messenger that he had created, a servant of God, a ministering agent from God, this angel and the glory of the Lord shone around them. This is not a small event. This is not even um, a medium event. This is what all the world had been awaiting for thousands of years, since it was prophesied in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, since Uh, All through when the tabernacle was made and the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God and offerings were being made that would foreshadow the offering that would be once and for all for all people. God had been letting us know that there was an answer to the sin problem. There was an answer to this uh, emptiness that sin brings about. And so for the shepherds, The glory of the Lord shone around them. It wasn't just the angel that they saw, but the glory of the Lord shone. It was like a great light, and they were obviously filled with great fear. God comes after you with his love. But notice, secondly, he makes clear what's happening. He communicates with you about his love. God gives us the information that we need. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I love the description of this message. It's good news of great joy. What a a good description that is. It's good news. It's not something that we're secretive about or ashamed of. This is big news. What God had told them, foretold them, what they had been waiting on, now it was happening. This is good news of great joy. There are times I'm sharing the gospel with someone, and in my own selfishness and sinfulness, I think, I don't really want to bother them. I mean, they're doing this, and, and, and I might offend them if I tell them about Christ. And then the Holy Spirit says, what better thing can you do for this person than to give them the gospel? Without it, they die lost, and they spend eternity in the place we call hell. It's, it's like I'm unloving, I'm unkind not to share this good news of great joy. If I had something that was going to be life-changing for someone and I just withheld that news, it would, it, it would be uh, unloving, unkind, but as I share it, it's, it's good news of great joy, and it's for all the people. That's the recipients of the message, for all the people. Yes, the gospel first came to the to the Israelites because that was God's plan of redemption. He set aside a people through Abraham, the Israelites, and they were God's chosen people and they were to be a missionary nation. They weren't obedient. God, God brought in the Gentiles because that was his plan all along anyway. The Jews were to reach the Gentiles. And so this good news Uh, of the gospel, this good news of great joy is for all the people, rich, poor, all of us. Everybody in this room, there's nobody in this room that this good news is not for. You may hear people say that sometimes, well, that's not for me. Well, that's their choice. They can reject the gospel, But this good news of great joy is for all the people. God makes himself known. God sent his son. Jesus' blood that he shed on the cross is sufficient for all people. But notice the actual content of the message they give here in verse 11. For unto you, very personal, You see, it's one thing for it to be historical. It just happened a long time ago. It's another thing even to be theological because we can understand these great truths about God and his work. But it's a whole different ballgame when it becomes personal for you. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Bethlehem, the city of David. A Savior who is Christ the Lord some wonderful wonderful titles for Jesus here. He is of the line of David. He he was born in the same city of David where David's family was, Bethlehem. But but notice this title, a savior. A savior, a rescuer. Again, we can we can say I don't need any help. It's like someone who is drowning in a pool or in an ocean. I don't need any help. Someone who is dying of a disease, I don't need any help. It's the sinful rebellion of humanity, thinking somehow we're sufficient in and of ourselves. And sometimes those difficulties of life come along just to to show us we're not enough on our own. We do need the help of God, and even as we get older and death gets closer, if, if the natural course of life happens and the effect of sin occurs, it's a reminder, I'm not strong enough, I'm, I'm not good enough. Early on, somehow, because we have strength and it seems like our whole life is before us, it's easy to think, I, I've got it, I'm sufficient. But the hardness of heart can continue right on up even into the older years when we know we don't have it. I was visiting someone that's not a part of our church family in another city this weekend at a nursing home. And there was concerns about this gentleman's salvation. Is he really saved? And here he's gone through a stroke. Now he's in a nursing home. He may or may not recover. And So I'm going in and I'm trying to share the gospel with this man. I'm trying to do it in a very... uh, natural way and as I'm talking I can barely understand what he's saying a word or two that comes out of his mouth can I understand I'm not quite sure he's getting what I'm saying and so there's a, a real difficulty and I walked away just sad God why why is it that a person has to come to the end of their lives and family and others aren't sure they're saved why why couldn't that have been handled way long earlier rather than on possibly a, a deathbed where we're not even sure if communication's actually happening. Some of you are here today, and God's given you the opportunity. He's making His love known to you. He's showing that to you even through the Christmas story, the coming of His Son, for God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son. He's making it known to you, and you know every day, every opportunity, when you say no to Christ, you know what normally is happening in the heart of a man or a woman, even a boy or a girl? That heart just keeps growing harder. And so people can go years and hear the gospel many times and and yet say no, and their heart just keeps growing harder and harder. And you say, well, surely someone gets it in their lives and, and, and they'll get and, and they'll be open. I, again, I, I just remember from years ago in another ministry setting, talking with a man who was in the hospital, and me say to him, today's the day, 80 plus years old, today's the day, you need to make sure you're right with God, and, and what did he say? I'm, I'm not ready. You see, that's the hardness of heart that happens in people's lives, This good news of great joy is for all the people, and you're here today as a part of God working in your your life. A Savior has come, one who will rescue you, and you need rescuing. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As much as God is a God of love, as much as God has made Himself known uh, through Jesus coming, His living, His dying, and His resurrection, you've got to receive that love. He is a Savior who has come. He didn't save us to take away all of our problems. He didn't save us just to make us feel better. Jesus saves us from the wrath of God. It's what we deserve. And yet Jesus took all of that wrath, all of our sin upon himself. Though he was rich in heaven, he became poor He came to earth that for your sake, for your sake, he became poor that you might be made rich. That you might be restored to a right relationship with God. He's a savior. He's a rescuer. And what else did he say? He's Christ. A savior who is Christ. Christ is the Old Testament description of Jesus the coming Messiah, it's literally Messiah. He is the king that was promised that would come and deliver God's people. He is that one. He is the Christ and then the Lord. Lord, he's in charge. He's the authority. He's the sovereign ruler over all. Sometimes we we think in terms of that must be his name, first, second, third, the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not it. These are titles He was given the name Jesus. God is my salvation, Jesus. Lord means that he's God himself and he has all authority. He's the sovereign ruler. And Christ describes the fact that he's the one that the Old Testament talked about. He is the one that was to come to rescue people from sin. We've been asking you as a church family to work on memorizing this text of Scripture. We've been heading toward this text, and this morning we're there. And so I'm going to ask you again just to say this with me. You, you get it. I'm going to begin, and then the congregation, you will say this next part, and then all together we will finish that out. So, and the angel said to them, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is essential for salvation. No one will be saved apart from this. Knowing that he came in the flesh, his incarnation. If we're not uh, in agreement on that, a person cannot be saved. God took on human flesh and we place our faith in what he did for us in the crucifixion. And the resurrection. We turn from our sin. We confess him as Lord. And we trust. Turn and trust his death and resurrection. So that we can become a part of his family. And be followers of Christ. God communicates. Let me give you the third point. Remember God comes after you with his love. God communicates with you about his love. And now God confirms for you his love look on in verse 12 and this will be a sign for you now signs are always a little bit tricky I I have people all the time tell me well this happened is that a sign or I was praying and I just asked God to give me a sign and so signs can be a little bit tricky do we see signs in the Bible yes and so they're not altogether bad but what Jesus did tell people is don't seek for a sign God's made himself known already. We don't need a sign. We already have it. Jesus lived. He died. Uh, he was resurrected. That's our sign of God's love. We don't need a sign. But does God come along from time to time and confirm things? Of course he does. And, and in this particular case, the prophecies, those were all signs specific to who Jesus was over 300 plus. We look particularly at the fact that, that uh, Micah 5 verse 2 Hundreds of years before Jesus came, we were told where in Bethlehem. And so we we know that's part of a sign. The the fact that there was a virgin birth, Isaiah talked about that uh, in his prophecies. There's an angel here appearing before these shepherds, that's a sign. And then of course, ultimately the resurrection, that's our greatest sign. He is the Son of God. We don't look for signs We don't seek signs, but as we live our lives, there are indicators along the way, not only from the Scripture, but but God does move through circumstances. I don't think we ought to be guided by circumstances, but I think sometimes God just does things along the way that we realize, you know, God's at work here. Those are evidences of God's work. We don't seek them, but we will see them along the way through our circumstances. God's making himself known, particularly here, to uh, verify, validate the very birth of his son and, of course, the giving of the, the story around it in all of scripture. And what would that sign be? Well, it wasn't necessarily that a baby would be born. There were plenty of babies being born. It wasn't even necessarily that he would be wrapped in swaddling cloths. There were, they were Plenty of people who would have wrapped up their children after they were born because of their fears of what might happen to that child or even the common first century, they wanted all the limbs to grow straight. So uh, even today, people will swaddle their children to bring security and comfort. That wasn't the sign. The sign was that he would be lying in a manger. Not every child would be laying in a feeding trough. And the shepherds knew that. They were privy to what animals were treated like and what humans were treated like. And Jesus came in the lowliest of ways. He was treated even as an animal, as far as being laid in a feeding trough, he, there was no room. But what a lowly beginning the humility of Christ a baby in a manger. Notice what else God did in verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying. Now we're not sure how many a multitude is here. I've seen guesstimates that go up into the thousands, some even into the millions. Now if you think the shepherds were afraid when they saw one. I have no idea what they felt when they saw such a large number, a multitude, a host of the heavenly Beings that were there praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. You see the impact in heaven. Glory to God in the highest and the impact on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Thousands, unlike any event in history. Some of the people in the world today, no doubt, spurred on by the enemy, would like for us to even doubt. Was there a man named Jesus that actually came to earth? Just his existence. And we have more historical records of the fact that Jesus came and he lived and died on earth and even was resurrected than any other historical event that's ever happened. So his existence can't even really legitimately be questioned. And because some people don't necessarily believe the documents and the historical documentation, they may not... Believe that uh, he was resurrected. Well, that's that's up to them. It is a great miracle that someone could be raised from the dead. But again, I think it's uh, uh, when you look at the evidence behind it and the historical nature of it and all that took place. To me, again, that's kind of like a, a dunk. Uh, it 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 is true, but this is unlike any event in history. Some people say, "Well, should we really celebrate Christmas?" I mean, didn't that kind of of a pagan thing when you celebrate certain times of the year. And man, I I think we ought to celebrate Christmas and we ought to celebrate it again and we ought to celebrate it again. I mean, here is God himself taking on human flesh. Wouldn't it be okay to decorate a sanctuary like this to celebrate? Sure it would. We're celebrating the coming of a king. Wouldn't it be good to have an advent wreath where we're just thinking about the coming of Christ and... I say, yes, we're not the only ones that celebrate. I mean, the an- God sent the angels here on earth to celebrate when Jesus was born. I-, I love the bookends, the supernatural virgin birth of Christ, and yet the supernatural resurrection of Christ. Both are miraculous, both are supernatural, both are historical, and both are true. But again, I think we have to come back to the fact that is it personal for you? Is it personal for you? One way that we might could ask that is to what lengths would you go to help someone? To what lengths would you go to help someone? Now, when I look at the love of God, once you know God's love and his love changes you, it's an extravagant love. That's why, that's why John could say, Behold or see what manner of love the Father hath shown us that we should be called children of God. 1 John 3, 1. Again, John 3.16, God so loved the world. Why, why do we teach our kids that verse? Well, it's the gospel in a nutshell, but we want them to understand, we want them to be overwhelmed with the love of God because once you're overwhelmed and understand and accept the love of God, it changes how you treat people because his love changes you where you can love others even when they're unlovable. There are people in your house certain days that are unlovable I am a prime candidate of being unlovable. Nobody in my house, just me, you know. You, you know those people in your house. There are people in your neighborhood that are unlovable. Only the love of God can help you love some of your neighbors. And as hard as it is to believe, some, sometimes there are people in this church family that are unlovable. Unlovable. Why? Because we we're, we're, we still live in the flesh and we still are at times sinful and this is a part of being in a family and it's the love of God that allows us to love each other and to be the body of Christ. I'm amazed sometimes how we measure churches. Sometimes we say, well, you know, that's a big church. They must really be a great church. They must really be good. But there's nowhere really that the Bible says anything about Numbers being what makes a church great. Now, numbers are counted in Scripture. We're, I'm not saying that numbers aren't important in any shape or form. But I'm saying that's not the correct measurement. It doesn't matter if it, what size a church is. Church growth is more about how we love each other. Do we, are we really loving God? Or are we loving Him well? And are we loving each other? Because that's how the world knows that we're His people. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another because that's not normal in the world. People are envious and they hate and they're divided and they're ugly and they're mean. I hope you never walk through these doors and you're treated unkindly. I I hope nobody, if ever in this family, treats each other in a mean kind of way It's not supposed to be that way. Now, it's going to happen because we're sinners. And let me apologize now. If I'm ever mean to you, just slap me upside the head. (laughs) So, you're not supposed to be mean like that. You see, church growth, when we read the letters, it's, it's Their love is growing for one another. Their faith, their trust in God is growing. No matter what they've been through, no matter the differences they've had, they've learned how to love each other because of the love that they've received. When you don't love other people well, it makes me wonder, do you really understand how much God loves you? If you don't love God well, It makes me, do you really understand how much God loves you? When you hold bitterness or anger in your heart, do you really know how much God loves you? Ephesians chapter 3 just gives us a great application of this. It's one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. I pray it often. Ephesians chapter 3, and it has a lot to do with the love of God. Let me just read it to you. Ephesians 3 verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, make that connection, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Why in the world would Paul pray that kind of prayer for the Ephesians? Because he knew that if they understood how wide, long, high, and deep the love of God is, that they would be obedient to God and they would love each other. And this morning, may may God do that in us. When I I think about Jesus being the superior and us being the inferior, I mean, God himself coming and taking on flesh and dying for me in love, that's a pretty tremendous thought. When I look at that gap between God and me, and yet he loved me. It's one thing that if we'd have been equal with God, and God did this for us, we would maybe we would deserve it. But that gap is so wide, that gap is so long and uh, wide and deep that it's impossible that that could even be a reality. But God, who is rich in mercy and love, has shown his love to us. And it's that same kind of love that we're to show to one another. No doubt, in these next few days, you're going to have a chance to love on some family members. No doubt, you're going to run into some people in the stores. Because most of you men have not done your Christmas shopping yet. I think that was a female amen, by the way. Just. You're going to run into a lot of people. How are you going to love them? Places you go eat, they're going to be really busy. The nicest people in that restaurant ought to be you. And when they say, where you go to church, we're going to say, yes. But if you're mean, please don't say, where you go to church. God's love is so tremendous. It changes us. It makes us love the unlovable. It makes us do things that in the flesh we would, we would never do. It makes us smile when we maybe don't even feel like smiling. It makes us be generous when maybe we're not sure if we should be generous. I mean, the love of God is so vast and wonderful and great. And some of you are grieving because of the season of the year and Let me remind you what Jonathan Edwards said. There is such love and such grace in the heart of God that if you understood the length and breadth and height and depth of it, you would never be discouraged. God loves you. He wants you in his family if you're not. He's willing to forgive you this morning. He's willing to welcome. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right. All rights and privileges. He gave you the right to become children of God. If you don't know him, we'll have pastors who are available after the service. I'll be in Guest Central. Would love to talk with you further. Maybe there's some hard people for you to love. And today, maybe God's asking you to surrender that to him and ask for his help. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that You're at work in this body. I believe that this church is growing and not even thinking about numbers, Lord. I'm thinking about love for you and love for each other. As you've allowed us to to study your word, as you have called us out and drawn us to yourself, we don't deserve it. But you have just shown your love in some incredible, indescribable ways. And I pray that we who have received it, that we would give it so that people might know your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.